Welcome to a special edition of the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California on this National Coming Out Day. I'm John Zipperer, the club's vice president of media and editorial and Michelle's co-host for this program. Thank you all for joining us today, whether you're here in the room or you're watching online or listening to the podcast. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, the Commonwealth Club is a 118-year-old nonprofit, nonpartisan organization dedicated to holding civil conversations about important and sometimes just fun topics. We want to give a big thanks today to Sarah Monte Ford for providing the food for the delicious lunch before our program. Now, to get us started, it's my pleasure to introduce Michelle Miao. She's the producer and the host of The Michelle Miao Show, and of course, a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. Good to see you again, Michelle. Thanks so much, John, and it's great to see you, see all of you who are joining us in person, and thanks to all of you who are joining us online. This is, I'm getting used to it. I'm getting used to, you know, saying that. Happy National Coming Out Day. Uh, <laughs> I woke up counting my fingers. How many years have I been out? And I realized that this year is 20. It's going to be the 20th year of my coming out. And uh, wow, I can't believe it. And many of us go through that, right? And many of us in the LGBTQ community do. You remember coming out for the very first time as it's personal. So today I'm very excited to have two filmmakers here with us who produced, created, animated Pixar's Out. And so they'll be talking about, uh, yeah, the importance of representation in our community, in you know animations, especially films, and also talking about the importance of coming out. But before we get into our conversation, I've compiled a short video for you, about seven minutes of coming out stories, because aside for, from uh, being out for 20 years, I've also been collecting coming out stories for 16 years. And so, you know, by no means are these four stories a, a representation of the thousands of coming out stories I've collected. However, if you'd like to check them out, you can head to commonwealthclub.org MMS. Let's check out that video. My coming out story is a little complicated because I grew up in the uh, 1950s and 60s when um, there wasn't even a word for coming out. Gay wasn't a word. Queer, not even, except as a derogatory. And, uh, you know, we were homosexuals. But I knew when I was um, probably about six years old that um, the, quote, traditional marriage to a man was not for me. And uh, when I started thinking that I might be a lesbian and um, getting very involved in the women's movement, I actually had a lesbian trial where my fellow activists sat around me and said, uh, even before I had a girlfriend or had even held hands with a girl, um, uh, Helen, tell us if you're a lesbian, because if you are, you're going to be kicked out of the community, you know. Asian, Latino, African-American community. And uh, at that time, there wasn't any kind of language like um, questioning or uh, transition. It was, um, and I had to think, well, am I a lesbian? And I didn't have a card. I didn't get the toaster oven. And so I said, no, I'm not. Mm -hmm. and, and the power of words for me was that I stepped into the closet and mm -hmm. slammed the door. And it took me um, a little while longer before I could overcome that internalized fear that I had from my 
fellow community activists who at the time were incredibly homophobic. But um, the power of coming out and um, wanting to be a full human being and have the experience of of love and uh, acceptance, I mean, of course I came out. Mm -hmm. And... uh, uh, but it was a little bit of a circuitous path for me, and I know that's true for a lot of LGBT queer people, too. When you think about the, you know, something with 40 or 40s, San Francisco Pride is celebrating 45 years of Pride this year. Golden State Warriors you know, waited 40 years and then have now achieved their championship, uh, uh, being a championship team this year. And... You were in the NBA for over 40 years before you came out. I almost feel like winning the championship and then being the celebrity grand marshal is like a second coming out. Wow. Does, that, uh, does, it, does it feel that way at all? You know, it's been a journey, right? We're all on our own personal journeys, and uh, the last four years has been a remarkable part of my life, but it, it's definitely a part of my life. Uh, you know, the decisions I made four years ago to come out in the way that I did, obviously... You know, I had decided I was signing up for something going forward and being part of the discussion. Uh, and, you know, I welcome that. And this is, uh, you know, for me, a real honor to, to be participating in this way. And I guess in, in some ways it, it will be a demonstration of how far professional sports has come in, in a very short period of time, uh, not as far as our society has come. So I think we have a lot to celebrate. Uh, one of my favorite episodes, of course, is the episode in which, you know, they brought your mom to be your sous chef. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you ended up winning that challenge, and uh, it was so, so heartfelt to see your mom so proud. You mentioned your family just a little bit during that episode. Uh, do you mind telling us, like, your coming out story? And No, not at all. Um, it was kind of interesting. I had come out when I was to myself when I was around 20, And I don't think I told my family until a few years later because I was kind of scared of just being completely rejected by them. Uh, But I came out to my mom and my stepfather on Christmas Eve at like midnight and eight in the morning the next day they were leaving for Hong Kong. And I was just like, I had to get it out of my system. And so I just went for it and broke down in tears. I was crying. It was really emotional. But ultimately, you know, it it just took some time for her to kind of adjust, and um, she asked a lot of questions. And I think that's all you really can do is just really communicate with each other. And now she's great. She's just, like, very involved in my life and very much involved with the people that I'm dating. And so Involved with the people you're dating. The person that I'm dating. So, (laughs) yeah, I guess in general, like, she's taken it quite well. That's awesome. And, yeah, it's it's really great to have uh, that off my chest and to be be who I am. Wow. Okay. Um, Well, you know, I'll just start with that neither of us intended to come out, so to speak. It wasn't like we grew up in a context where being queer was normalized or was even really available um, as an expression and moreover for women. So we moved to San Francisco. We lived with our Aunt Annie Pride, rest in power. And um, we shared a room. I think um, both of us had crushes on people and we were talking about um, folks that we were meeting and just trying to normalize things. And I think that we both got to a place where 
the conversations needed to eclipse. <laughs> and so, you know, we were literally laying back to back. And um, I said, um, you know, Laura, I think I need to tell you something. And I was like, I need, I was like, I need to tell you something too. And um, she said, I'm, no, she said, I'm bi. I said, I, I you think know, you I, have to think in front. She's like, I, I think I'm, I think I'm bisexual. And then I said, well, I'm gay. <laughs> and, and what, what happened after that was a moment of, safety and normalcy and for someone that you grow up with and you've known all your life it's the scariest thing to say something when you think that they're not gonna be that anymore I didn't know how Melanie felt we both grew up in the church we didn't move out here to you know finally break free and come out nothing <laughs> we didn't we didn't move here for that we moved here to study film, and our plan was to move to L.A. We were going to be the female version of the Hughes brothers. And so that was our trajectory. Um, so, you know, meeting people, and there's something about San Francisco. There's something <laughs> about the Bay Area. I don't know if it's in the air, the water, but it creates this space for innovation, not only in industries, but in yourself. For all our uh, incredible speakers who shared their stories. Well, now uh, let's, let's get the show started. I'm so excited to introduce you all to Stephen Clay Hunter, animator for Pixar, and Max Sacker. Did I say it right? You got it right on. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who's a producer of Out. Welcome, both of you, to the program. <clears throat> well, um, you know the drill. It's tradition here. We, we talked about it, and so you, have, you get the opportunity to share your coming out story. And Max, we ask everyone. Doesn't matter. So however it lands with you, yeah. share a coming out story. <laughs> we'll, we'll, start with, we'll start with Stephen. You want, me, you want me to go first? Yeah. Okay. Um, my coming out story. Oh boy. You're coming right off the top. Okay. Um, oh boy. That was, I was, it was, I started Pixar and it was probably around 99 and I was like around 27 or something. And, and, uh, I was date, I had moved to, to the Bay area from LA. I was working at Disney and I came up and started working at Pixar and I was dating a guy down in LA who's from the Bay area. And he said, uh, it was around Christmas and he's like, why don't you come and spend Christmas with uh, with my family here. And I was, I said, I can't because what would I tell my parents? And so we broke up over that and it was like really heartbreaking. And I w ended up on the phone with my mom and at work and she, uh, she asked me, um, what's wrong? Because moms know. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I could tell you, but you have to go get dad. And so she went, and we hung up, got dad. I went to a conference room at Pixar and then I told him, at work and I was talking to my mom and we were going on it for a bit and then she was like you know we love you no matter what like it's you know we're gonna it's fine and kind of thing and I was like okay cool where's dad because he hasn't said anything and she goes oh he went for ice cream <laughs> and I was like oh okay cool and then like an hour later he called me and was like you're my son we love you no matter what like I just had to go get some ice cream processed <laughs> <laughs> 
And it's, ever since then, it's been, it's been fabulous. Like, the, like you said, like hearing them talk about it, it's like they're a part of your life now. It's like, mm-hmm. I can't imagine anything. Like, I can't imagine what the fear was. I mean, I know what it was, but it's also like, like how funny. Like even good people, you know, they're not homophobic. They're just, you know, you just don't know how to have the conversation, how to talk about that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting hearing other people. So, Thank you for sharing. Max. Yeah, um, you know, hearing all these stories, it's obviously something as an ally I probably can't connect with on a really, really real level. I was, you know, was fortunate enough that I didn't face that challenge of having to kind of come out with my sexuality because it was expected. You know, I'm a straight man, and my parents probably assumed that. But for me, coming out that moment in my life, I think was probably just more of an emotional moment. I'm a bit of a crier. I'm just going to lay that out right now. <laughs> he is. And uh, really I'm is. a bit of a crier. Yeah. Steve's seen me cry. Yeah. yeah. And I've always been like that. But um, for the better half of my life, not better half, but for the first half of my life, it was kind of to myself. And there was one time when uh, I was off of college and I was figuring out what I wanted to do. I didn't know who I wanted to be. I didn't know what I wanted to study. I had loved film. Um, I was homesick. I was in New York. I was far away from my family. And my dad came out to visit me. And uh, he had come out a couple times um, to come visit me and see how I was doing. And for the most part, it was just a very regular visit. We went out to dinner. These are the classes I'm taking. This is what's going on in the world of the sports. This is the stuff that we talked about. And uh, I, I left his hotel, and I went down the hallway, and I hit the elevator to go downstairs. And for whatever reason, it compelled me to turn around, go back, open the door. And I started crying, and I asked my dad, like, hey, I hope you're, you're proud of me. And it didn't come from anything in particular, but it was an emotional breaking point in our relationship where from that point on, we were able to cry in front of each other. And uh, I hadn't done that before with him. So that was a big moment for me. Um, I love that you just come out as a crier on the Michelle Miao so nice. show. <laughs> it's so amazing. I'm a crier I was almost too. there just now. I know. <laughs> I know. God damn. Oh. Uh, so yeah. I love that. John? Well, we're going to see Pixar's out. Mm-hmm. So why don't, could if each of you start with Steven again. Set the table for us. What are we about to see? What What do you hope we're, we're, our attitude is going into watching this? I, my, uh, my whole thing with getting this thing started, other than creating like a, a little gay Twilight Zone story, was, um, was really getting families talking, just showing a positive fairy tale-esque kind of uh, story about how people need to talk. And that's what it's really about. Like you and your dad. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Sorry. <laughs> I'd love to hear the um, the process. Like, how did it all start? And I know this sounds weird, but I think for a lot of us, if not most of us um, who are tuning in, who are here, you know, we didn't live through a time in which there are a ton of movies right. that had LGBTQIA plus characters, let alone, you know, a Disney film or a Pixar film or an animated film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, yeah. It's amazing even now, like watching films that have, that content in it, I'm still gobsmacked when I see stuff. Like watching the old guard with Shalice Theron and having those two, the the two uh, gay characters in it, and it's so romantic and so in an action movie, in the middle of an action movie, there's this amazing scene, and you're like, oh god, I'm so hungry for that to be represented, you know, to see yourself, you know, a real, just a love story, just the two characters in love, it's like great. But um, like where this film came from is sort of a, uh, um, I had watched um. Call Me By Your Name, and it has that scene at the end with the father. Spoiler alert, there's like a scene with the father and the son just having a conversation, and it was just so... Um, 
it was just so wonderful to see a dad just talking to his son about love, you know, between him and this guy that they had met that summer. And, and it's so, it was just really emotional. Like, I'm just like, I watched it and then I had to stop it and cry. And then I had to rewind it and watch it again and cry. And then I cried myself to sleep, got up the next morning, printed the script out, read that scene, cried again. Like, I'm like, I didn't realize how hungry I was. Then I went to my therapist and talked to him about it. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's like, yes, we're, we don't, we need more of that representation in stories, you know, and, and positive representations too. Right. So I think that's where the hunger for this came. Cause when, um, they asked us, so this was part of the spark shorts program at Pixar. And it was like the way of pulling in people that are from different departments, not just story, but bringing them in and letting them tell a story. And so we got a lot of autonomy up front to, uh, to come up with the content. And so when they came to me, what do you want to do? And I was like, I, I think I want to do this coming out story. And I went off and wrote it and it was basically the same. There was a lot of story elements that changed, but the general gist of the dog swap and the mom and thing, oops, but, um, <laughs> Um, that was sort of all in there from the beginning and it was just, and then Max and, and would just help me hone it. You know, like we would work on the story, work on the dialogue and all together and just to make it as emotional as we could. Um, so really it comes from that. It comes from my love of Twilight Zone, you know, back in the day, weird little stories, uh, you know, so that's generally what, what it's about. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, the Spark Shorts program is unique in that, um, you know, you're working at this big studio, right? That we've you know, 20 plus years of feature length films of, of, you know, grandeur and, and, and they're big and they're big budgets and the crews are huge. And when they introduced the spark shorts program, you know, I think it was back in 2018, the first spark shorts film came out in 2019. Um, and it is like Steve said, you're looking for storytellers from a cross section of the studio, right? Folks from who are simulation TDs who might not otherwise get a chance to tell their stories, yeah. um, animators, story artists, you know, documentary directors. So you have this amazing cross section of storytellers. Um, but you're given kind of like a fraction of the amount of time, the fraction of the amount of people yeah. and budget that you might normally get. And so that's where, you know, it's hard to, in your case, I mean, you know, a coming out story, how do you whittle that down to, in our case, you know, eight, nine minutes, right? Because that's a lifetime of a tale. And so yeah. it's a, it, w- it was a fun challenge, though. We hope you guys like it. It's, it's fun. It's emotional. It's funky. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we? Yeah, sure. Yeah, no? Let's do it. Shall we watch the short film out? Yes. All right. This is our first time watching it with an actual audience. This is very exciting. <laughs> We're taking bets on whether Max will cry. So. <laughs> Hey, Greg, look what I found. Hmm? <laughs> remember this? <laughs> I remember you hated camping. Think you might hang it someplace other than your sock drawer? Once we're in the city, I'll hang it right out in the open. I promise. And if your mom and dad decide to visit? Ha! That'll never happen. Happy moving day! Ah! <laughs> 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 okay. Um, who cried? <laughs> who cried in our our online audience? It's okay. It's great okay, to hear. Time. Great to hear people laugh too. <laughs> well, Max, back in what was it seventy nine? Disney was getting threats from people when they dared to release a PG related move, rated movie, as opposed to just G rated Herbie the Love Bug stuff. Um, I know Pixar is a division of. of of them, but I mean, what, what was it like? Was this just a not question at all? 
um, or was this a milestone as well within the company? I mean, internally, obviously, it was a milestone. I mean, uh, for us, um, Disney is continuing to try and take steps forward, right, to to tell stories from the cross-section of the human experience, which is, you know, shared amongst everyone. Um, but we, you know, we never, from the beginning all the way to the end, never faced any kind of doubt or hesitation behind the story that Steve wanted to tell. And from the get-go, if there was any sense of that, you know, we certainly didn't see it. And I think that just set us off on the right foot to know that, like, hey, you know what? Not only are our fellow filmmakers within Pixar behind us, but, you know, everyone at the Disney company as well is behind us. Um, So internally, there was never any, um, you know, questioning. Again, at the end of the day, this is a family story. You know, it's based on truth. And as long as as our films, um, you know, fall within that, then it doesn't matter what kind of story you tell. And, and, and we certainly felt that on our end. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree with that. Like a lot of it comes down to like Pixar from the beginning has always been about like director driven stories. Like it's coming from the directors and it's like mm-hmm. coming from who they are. And I think it's the, you know, I got the opportunity to tell a story. So I'm going to tell who I am. I think that the more we can encourage film, diff- more diverse voices in film, then I think we're, we're better off. And I think, Pixar especially, but I think Disney is opening to yeah. that too. What were some of the responses, whether from your family or your friends or community, uh, fans, like yeah. strangers? I'm, you know, I have to, I have to mention even before the film was released, the we had a, we were working on it for what a year, eight months or something. Yeah, we were, we were a little bit more than halfway done when we yeah. had our Pix Pride screening. Right. So that yeah, and that's the one where we just we finally got all the voice work cut in and we had some animation and things like that. And we always do these screenings just to gauge how it's working. And we grabbed uh, PixPride, which is our internal employee resource group for the LGBTQ plus community. And they're, they're fantastic and they really push hard to get representation in all our movies. And Max worked with them to get a screening together and we watched it with them and I was, it was just like, you're just like, uh, kind of thing. And then... I came out of the theater, everybody walked out, I came out of the theater and like, um, what was it, Patty Bonifilio? Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. I'd look over and she's just like sobbing and I was just like, oh, okay, I think it re- it's resonating. Like it actually yeah. like, it was like the first time where we went, I think it's working, right? Yeah. She was probably like me growing up, didn't show crying and so we knew if we could make Patty cry, it's going to work. Pat- Patty's <laughs> awesome. She's in charge of facilities at Pixar, and I, I'm terrified to death of her. And she's, she's a, but she's the most amazing human being. So, but when I saw her crying, I was like, oh, my God, okay, this is, something's working here. Um, yeah, that was really exciting, doing that screening. I got to say, you said this at the beginning, but, like, right now, so this film came out, you know, May of last year while we were all at home. And, you know, it kind of hurt that, not hurt, but it, it, you, know, you make these films to be seen on a big screen, um, live with an audience, and you know we never really got to uh, experience that. So this is the first time in a very, very long time that we've actually been able yeah. to like share the same room yeah. and watch the film together. So that means a lot. Just hearing the laughs, right? Not everybody's on mute. Although you guys are being <laughs> quiet, we appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely got me feeling emotional right now. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Thank you. Um, Obviously, the obvious question is the sequel is going to be even bigger and, and more explosions. Oh, totally. Yeah, I'm sure. Huge. Bigger huge. budget. Um, <laughs> talk a bit more about 
<laughs> I mean, you, you wrote and directed it. How much of that were you doing as part of the process involved with other people? And how much of that was, I've just, you know, you alone were sitting and writing and crafting the story? I mean, oh, it was never alone. Like, it was always people, you know, folks that I absolutely admire and love. Um, Kristen Lester and Mike Daly were two of the earliest ones, who were, and, and Dave Lolly, who were like, um, they just. I knew I wrote the script, but I hadn't boarded in years, like 20 years where I sat and, and I was just nervous to even try. And then they took the script and went off for a weekend and came back with a pile of storyboards. And I, and we put it up and they're like, now pitch it to us. And I was like, Oh, like, <laughs> and for, first of all, I had to ride that wave of emotion that they would take this story. That's so personal to like, and put it on, you know, and just draw out all these beautiful boards and they're so good. And so then just, but that, that's every step of the way. Like everybody who helped out with it was just really supportive. And it's weird because I, I've been out since I was 27, right? In that conference room. And like, so everybody at work, everybody knows me. There's everybody supportive. It's, it's great. But when suddenly you're telling this story and they're like, everybody's like, here, let me help. Like, let me help. And like, every, everybody's bringing something to it, adding to it, constantly adding to it. You know, um, yeah. it was, it's just really emotional. Like, it's really like a, it's like being seen for the first time, you know? Yeah. And Alex, what does a producer do on a short film like this? So I think I kind of saw myself as Steve's like second set of eyes and ears on the floor, right? Like a gut check for him. I think first and foremost, when he first asked me if I wanted to kind of help him make this film, it was, you know, I was kind of taken aback. So I was like, this is something really, really personal to you. Thank you for sharing, you know, offering me to share this kind of experience with you. And so I think... I always saw my responsibility as upholding exactly what Steve wanted to say and surrounding him with people who also wanted to help do that as well. So you're responsible for, you know, assembling the crew, gathering the right folks and the right disciplines um, who kind of believe in what we're what we're trying to make. Um, you're also in charge of the budget and the schedule. So I unfortunately have to play bad cop sometimes and tell Steve, like, no, I'm sorry, you can't have that. Um, or just, oh you can't have it right now, but we'll get it for you later. Where's my um, pony? Yeah, pony. you're working with, you know, contracting musicians um, to work on the soundtrack and the score. Um, but also, like, creatively, too. Like, he was keeping me honest through the whole thing. Like, just yeah. story-wise. Like, making sure that the emotional beats we were trying to hit were really staying true and honest to the, to the story we were trying to tell. Yeah. And that's what I needed most in a yeah. partner like that. I just have to think, sorry to no, keep okay. I just have to think that, 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 and this is maybe a weird thing to say, but I come from a very musical family. I would think that moment where you then are seeing it with music for the first time, that would really be emotional, that to kind of is like adding the special effects yeah. to a, a science yeah. fiction film. Every step of the way, it's just yeah. adding to it, and you're like, oh my God. Like, sound is real. I mean, sound is yeah. such an always yeah. an underrated and underappreciated element of everything we see visually, right? Because it's just another sense yeah. of ours that, that gets in tune with the story. Yeah. Um, but you know, to the, to how it's all made, I mean, all of Pixar, I think this is what makes our, where we work so special. It is, it is a truly collaborative environment in the sense that filmmakers, the folks in the writers and the director's chair are also willing to share something, knowing that pieces of it will get ripped apart and kind of like broken down to its core. And, um, but in the best sense of that process, right? Those people are there to kind of pick apart what it is that you're trying to say. Um, and, and that's a challenge. And, but, but then from that, you kind of pick and choose. Mm -hmm. oh, I really liked that. Mm -hmm. Let me take a little piece of this. I really want to hang on to this yeah. and, and then kind of make it my own. Yeah. Um, I really wanted that Magnum PI poster, <laughs> but I couldn't get it. So I got ahead to settle for the calendar with the fireman <laughs> and the kitty. <laughs> yes. 
Spider-Man count. Works pretty not good. Not a bad guy's left. option. <laughs> Sounds a whole lot like um, allyship. Uh, you know, your position, you know, Max, I think for many of us as LGBTQIA plus folks, we we need that support and we kind of need, you know, the people that go out there and also fight for us. Um, and it, But in your situation, it really truly sounds like you've also tried to hold on to the authenticity of, you know, Steve's story. And so what was that like for you and as an ally, you know, what did you learn as far as the importance of you know, being genuine about the project. Yeah. I think that last part that you mentioned was definitely the most important and that's learning and listening. And it kind of started with Steve retelling his coming out story for the first time for me to hear. And, um, you know, taking from that and keeping from that, what he wanted to put in this film. Right. And, and, and protecting that or helping to protect that. Right. Um, and so, it also means when Steve's not in the room being an advocate, right? I think a lot of allyship, mean, a lot of takeaway sometimes can be, well, you know, I'm here, I'm with folks. If I hear something, I'm going to say something while they're present. But I think the biggest, one of, one of the bigger components of that is also being loud and advocating when you're out there by yourself um, and you're hearing or seeing something that maybe is not in line with the story. So. Yeah, that was huge. That was really huge. It was just keeping me honest to, to what we were what I was trying to say, you know, and just reminding me at specific moments where it's like, you know, you stay true to what you want to say. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. You know, I totally understood what you're trying to say. I mean, we could all swap with our pets <laughs> any given time. So <laughs> John, well, Stephen, earlier before that, we saw that you were talking about uh, kind of like older films and, and how, you know, catching uh, gay characters or a gay relationship was, was really something and kind of even go back further where it, it wasn't something that would be obvious and you know those of us of a certain age can kind of remember watching shows or reading books and you're like oh I think that you know and I think those two maybe or I think there's something going on there but yeah. it's not being said um, yeah and so it, it, it is a very different world to where there's no, you know, like in the short, there's no question about whether or not he, he and Manuel are gay. They're gay. They're a gay couple. You know, it's, it's about them maneuvering in, in society and, and what they do with that. Yeah, so the audience doesn't have to read into it. Yeah. They can just see. It was interesting. I was reading, uh, there was one tweet I remember where it was somebody was saying, um, um, I, I, they were, somebody was said that you never say gay in the short. You never say he's gay. And they were complaining about it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, you're probably, okay. And then, uh, but then somebody else said, but it made me, I'm bi, and it made me read that maybe he's bi. Mm. So I could see my own rep self-represented, you know? And I was like, oh, interesting. Like, again, this is not stuff I plan on. Right. I can't sit here and say, oh, yeah, well, I plan that. You know? uh, it's, it's just that's what we do. And I think going back, you're just hungry to see yourself. And so we read into everything. We, can, we read into Gaston. We read into all that, you know, like, and it, at some point, I just get frustrated with that. I just like, just let us tell stories. Yeah. Come on. Like, there's so many of us, you know, and I think the, the structure of this, the Twilight Zone-ness structure of it was, was my intent to, like, say, like, this is a coming out story. It's not the coming out story. It's just one of them. And you could imagine Megs and Gigi, we, had, we were going to have an ending where you saw, like, the camera would come up after they leave. 
and you would like see the town and you just see rainbows going down in different spots kind of thing <laughs> like they were going to help other people and like you could imagine doing like other stories like in that structure like twilight zones right rod serling would always begin and end the show you know yeah. And it was always, I love listening to him talk. So I'm like, I, would, I could sit there and listen to Matthew Martin <laughs> intro and close out every show. <laughs> so good. Just a reminder to our um, in-person audience, we've got the mic there. So if you've got a question for Steve or Max, feel free to step up to the mic and we'll get to you. I know there's a couple of you here who are filmmaker nerds and mm. <laughs> people like myself. Uh, so feel free to do that. Question for you as far as response and kind of, you know, where the program came from. Do you think that this will open the door for more, especially for trans GNC characters? Trans GNC meaning gender nonconforming. Gender nonconforming. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I don't know where the future is going for within Pixar. I know that they're still making stuff and still looking for those storytellers. You know, like that's what they want to keep doing. And, um, I know at Disney they've got a program too going with live action shorts and they brought in some gender nonconforming people to do work on that too. So it's like I can see the hunger. It's there inside kind of thing. It's just finding those voices and then really lifting them up to, let, to find bigger stories, right? I think that's what we're all just really hungry for. What do you think, Max? More budget for, for these stories? Yeah. Well, I, again, I think it does start with the stories, right? You want to remain authentic and true. And I think they're definitely out there outside of the walls of Pixar and inside yeah. the walls of Pixar. And I'm, I'm very hopeful for like what's to come in that sense. And, um, you know, I think we're obviously super proud of this and happy. Like Steve said, it's, it's just it's not the coming out story. And I think we're hopeful for the day where, you know, there's as many films out there as possible, and maybe it's just not the headline, right? It just becomes part of, this is another film that's told, right? And it becomes part of our everyday lives. Not to be Mr. Negative, but has there been any negative feedback from, how dare you do this? Uh, there, I mean, yes, there's going to be a filter for that. You just put it <laughs> <just gonna>, <laughs> up. There, I mean, you, you knew it was coming, right? Like on social media and things like yeah. that. And you know, you, I would get comments and stuff like that. But there was really early on, we just caught, talked and we were like, J the, just don't respond to it. Don't feed the fire. Don't, like, they're going to comment. They're going to troll. They're going to say whatever they want. Just get it out there so people can see themselves in the stories. That's the most important thing, right? That some kid out in the Midwest can see themselves and start a conversation, hopefully, with their families. That's what we set out to do. So all that other stuff, I just don't want to respond to it. I almost responded to one where he said, I'm not homophobic, but your, your film really didn't do it for me. And I said, well, that's okay. I mean, here's some other non-homophobic films. And I listed like Wizard of Oz and Priscilla, Queen of the Desert and <laughs> like all these other films. <laughs> and I was going to send it, and then I deleted it. I just sent it because I'm like, I can't, you know, even trying to be funny, you're, just, you're still feeling yeah. it kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I'd rather just focus on telling the story, getting it out into the world. Mm -hmm. Hey there, I have a quick question. <clears throat> Did you envision or the, the, the town from where they are moving? Where is that town? Ooh. It's, uh, you mean where their apartment is or where they're yeah, going? They're, to... they're moving. They're moving. I assume to L.A. or someone somewhere, somewhere like that. The big city. Right? Yeah, the, the big, big city. city. <laughs> but where are they coming from? I mean, if, from? It was, if it was me growing up, it would have been Chatham, Ontario, which is three hours from Toronto, you know, and it would have been moving from that small town. Actually, that apartment complex kind of style is, is totally my hometown. There's whole sections that are built like that. It's called a mansard roof where the oh, shingles sure. are on the yeah. side, you know. 
And uh, uh, and so I imagine they they were just heading off to the Toronto or something. But I I, I guess the the town the small town could be anywhere, right? Yes, and it's in the Midwest. It's America. Yeah. Um, Canada <laughs> and yeah, and yeah, yeah. Canada clearly, yeah. but it was a well, cute film. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this is the Bay area. So of course the un- underlying question is, so that apartment is available. What does it cost? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have another question. Hello. Hi. Steve Hello. And Max. Back in 1998, for Decades, most of the, even Disney, had white binary street individuals and stories. But 1998, they had an animation of Mulan. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we know that over 20 years ago was Joy Lock Club, primary Asian cast. Then a few years back was Crazy Rich Asians. And then recently is Marvel superhero, The Ten Rings. It's a long title. So... My question is, with especially Mulan, for a long time, Asian, Chinese, well, Chinese, Asian culture put down, uh, have this also straight, traditional, patriarchic whole view of life. So Mulan decide to go to war or be a soldier because her father was too old to fight. So, but she had to pretend to be a man, but yet she was still under traditional values. So what's your thoughts and feelings about those with you, with Will we see more of those themes coming in, well, especially, well, whether regular film or, in this case, Pixar animation? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I, I feel like that gets to, like, the heart of, like, we need these storytellers to go and dig and tell that story. I'd love to see a trans person tell the Mulan story. You know, I'd love to hear that interpretation and see what kind of honesty they would bring to the, some, a story like that. You know, I think that's that's what's important about this is that it's not just white guys, you know, telling other kind other people's stories. You know, um, but even then, I, I, I yeah, I, I does that answer your question? I'm sorry. Yeah. I I feel like it's yeah. just getting those people to out in the world. Sorry. Well, it sounds like the whole Sparks short idea is to get other voices out there and uh, um, tell their stories directly. Yeah, and also having an influence on what we're doing at the feature level, right? A lot of, yeah. a lot of not just from the technology that we're exploring, but from, you know, the characters that we create. And, um, you know, they don't directly wind up in a feature film that might be coming out in a year or two years or three years. But 
seeing, you know, how the Spark short films are being received um, amongst audiences and, and the features then learning from that and saying, wow, I, you know, I never would have thought about, like, uh, even, you know, Smash and Grab, which could be seen as a love story between two robots. You never know. Never know. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. I think we have another question. Does funding outweigh the truth of a story that you're trying to tell? And you being everyone, but, like, how do we... I, I guess it's a two-parter. Does funding outweigh the truth in today's climate? And how can we get around it if you do think it does? Oof. Oof. <laughs> Boy, yeah. that's a big one. It is, I mean, that's, that's hard because we do, we're fortunate to enough have come from a, you know, a studio that is well-funded. Well yeah. Um, yeah. There's it. I mean, it, I, I hate to say it, but you, if you it, how much money you're spending on a production means you're taking fewer risk, right? Like you're, you're, you have to like, got to make the money back somehow. So it's a lot of it is like, how do we avoid the risk? Right. And so like a lot of it is like, is, is a studio or a filmmaker willing to push as hard as they can to get that story told? You know, um, could sorry to interrupt, but maybe part of that also is as more of these films are made, obviously the level of risk goes down. Yeah. You're no longer the first, you know, you're not, well, it becomes less of a risk, right? Right, right. Like, because, because, because down, and then you can kind of explore it in different ways, yeah, including uh, you know, turning the table and telling a, a negative story about something that could be very emotional to people, but. We've, you know, we know, no, this is not the only representation that is going to be there, whether it's Indian person, whether it's an Asian person, whether yes. it's an LGBTQ person or yeah. whatever. That it becomes not a risk anymore, yeah. right? But I, 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 even from the funding standpoint, I mean, not, it's not getting easier and easier to make films. But, you know, we have we can go make a whole feature film right now with this thing in my pocket right now. Like technology has taken yeah. so many advancements over the past, you know, 20, 30 years when Mulan came out where you don't necessarily need an entire studio budget to create something meaningful. And so, I don't know, I think we always tell even some of the, the, the responses that we got from the film about like, hey, I'm, I'm a up and coming so-and-so and I want to learn how to do this and your story inspired me. How can I do it? And it's like, well... You know, there are right. tools out there. There's free things that you can use to, to kind of help, um, you know, get that creativity out of you and tell the story that you want. So, you know, yes, it m might be easier to make something low budget, but then to get it out there in the world is probably a another step. So how do you become a storyteller? I think that there was something there that you said, Steve, like we need those storytellers. Like, uh, I think we all have these incredible stories we'd love to tell. And we want we write them down, but then how do we get it to somebody who wants to make it into something bigger than yeah. whatever you wrote it down in? I, I you know, I I talk to a lot of kids about that kind of stuff too on like Instagram and things like that. And it's just like just keep drawing. Like I come at it from the animator point of view where it's like sit down, write their story, draw it, and then just put it out there. I mean, we have Instagram, we have these things where you could just put stuff out into the world. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully more people see it and then spread it around. You can actually, like, I think, I think that's a thrilling place for us to be right now. You know, like, get it out there. Just get it out into the world. You know, I wish, I think back to, like, I'm working on a project now on my own. And it's just, just like, I, I want to, you just got to write it for yourself. Like, you just, uh, you have to just dig into yourself, find out what's tr truthful 
what makes, you know, where's that kernel of truth inside you and get that out Mm -hmm. and then see if it finds a home, you know? So let's go, let's rewind here way back to the beginning of each of your careers. So maybe starting with Max and Stephen, how did you get into film and how did you get into Pixar? Obviously, you told us a bit about yeah. your education, but yeah. So I was born here in San Francisco, um, and I never thought I would leave, um, but I did. I went, I went off and, and pursued film from a very young age. I was always into filmmaking. E.T. was the movie that probably really turned yeah. me on to like, oh my gosh, not only is there a world out there, but there's a world of like movie making and storytelling that really can open up your mind. And so. Um, I was working for an underwater videography company through col- in college as an editor. And so I kind of started behind the computer as an editor, editing endless hours of fish and octopus, um, octopi. Uh, and then uh, I got a job uh, as the desk production assistant on WALL-E. That was my first project ever at Pixar, um, running around doing whatever people told me to do. You know, that's actually where I first met yeah. Steve. Steve was working as an animation supervisor on WALL-E. And we kind of first met. And that's when you first said, like, we got to get you in the animation department. Yep. Um, yep. So I went on to work on various feature films before eventually Steve and I kind of reunited. Uh, Incredibles. On, on Incredibles 2. Yeah. Um, and that's when you started kind of talking about the idea of working on, on, on Out or coming up with a story for what eventually became Out. Mm-hmm. How did your career get started? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> uh, I, it was... Um, I went to school for hand-drawn animation back in the 80s into 91. And um, I, you know, just drawing all the time. And then I um, I kind of dropped out and just said I didn't like cartoons. And so I started anim- I started doing painting and working at Red Lobster and just being, I want to be an artist, you know. <laughs> and I knew it was horrible. And so I just, I ended up calling up a friend who was working at a studio in Toronto and brought me in to work on this show called The Magic Adventures of Mumphy the Elephant in Toronto. And that was really fun doing television, hand-drawn television stuff. And and then um, Jurassic Park came out, and it was just like, oh, my God. You know, like, it just blew my mind. And um, I think by that time I was out in B.C., um, Vancouver, British Columbia, and uh, I heard they were hiring at Industrial Light Magic over in San Rafael um, to where they were doing Casper the Friendly Ghost. So I came down and asked for an interview and they hired me and I learned how to use a computer but working on that movie and it was really eye-opening there and then it just snowballed from there I went from ILM to Disney and then back to Pixar for Bugs Life and I've been there ever since so that is so 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 cool (laughs) you both are so cool um yeah it's already been uh, pretty much an hour and we've had an incredible afternoon celebrating national coming out day last and final question for you both you know it's an important one even for our allies and that is leaving us with some words some thoughts and your final thoughts uh what what you'd like people to know and your fans people who enjoyed out um especially on national coming out day and supporting the lgbtqia plus community and our youths so we'll start with max and then we'll end with steve yeah i think again Putting yourself out there, meeting as many people as you 
can being vulnerable and just being ready to listen and open. I think that's what it is. I think we all, wherever we're from and wherever we grew up, we think we start off thinking we know so much, but in the grand scheme of things, we know very, very little. Even growing up here in San Francisco and I was exposed to all walks of life and, you know, my dad owned an ice cream shop right on my market in Castro. And so I think, oh, I'm used to all of this, but really there's still so much to learn and to get behind and to advocate for. And so, you know, you're never really an expert in anything. Um, so, so, so listen, listen. Um, I feel like I, um, the, the experience of coming out, the moment up to that moment, when I think back to that, I think about how scared I was and how fearful and like everything was the worst case and how dark and myopic life can become. You can just lose it. Just like I can just see the blackness like coming in. And I think that you're going to feel that, but know that there's a bigger world out there. Like Max is saying, like there is a much bigger world out there and it's waiting for you to tell your story. Mm. That's awesome. Well, let's give a big round of applause for our amazing speakers today. Stephen Clay Hunter, Max Sakar, both from out of Pixar. And so, John? Thanks again for our guests, and thanks for all of you here in the room and everyone watching and listening online. You can find more upcoming programs and audio and video from all of our past stuff at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS. So stay safe, stay healthy, take care of yourself and others. Have a good week. And last last thing, thanks again to Ceremony Ford for our amazing lunch today. (laughs) 